welcome in. You are listening to another episode of the Keep the Change podcast, and we've got a very special guest in an amazing studio. Again, we're at Attention Seeker, and we've got Rupert Carline from Kiwi KiwiSaver. Did I get that right? You did. Well done. Finally. And uh, yeah, that's not an easy word to say, but it's a really important word. Yeah. Do you want to take us through the uh, origin of that? Yeah. So um, the the word kara, we all, we all know it as, as freshwater crayfish. But actually, um, it's got a lot more meaning to it uh, in today. It's also it signified the traditional meaning is gold and for a lot of hapu and a lot of iwi. Um, and it also has massive connotations around well-being, health. And so in our view, when we were looking for a, a name and something to call a business, we thought, actually, that's exactly what KiwiSaver is, right? It's, it's a pot of gold to provide well-being, wellness and resilience for people on the way through. Um, so we kind of, at the time, uh, there was a lot of skepticism about a financial services brand using a te reo name. Um, but for us, we wanted to be a really proud New Zealand company and show what New Zealand is. And for, for me personally, I think Māori and te reo, not Māori, but as a really important part of, of who we are. And I think I'd love to see more and more businesses embrace it. So that's us leading from the front. Nice, interesting. I actually read about this recently where some uh, people are concerned about people using Māori just for the sake of it almost. So it's good to hear you've obviously got a, a clear reason story behind that, right? Well, we, 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 we get both sides of that and be really honest. We get a lot of people talking about how um, we're not a Māori business so therefore we shouldn't be using the name. Uh, we get a lot of others who say, no, we, it's part of... Um, we're glad that, that you're embracing it. You, It does, I'm not going to lie. It, it means that we do certain things. We provide Māori internships. We, we've done a bit of work around hardship for, for Māori um, and doing more because we, we realise that it is a name that, that we're borrowing. And so therefore, we almost have to pay a little bit of rent on that on the way through. That That's how we think about it. Um, it's not just as simple as taking an everyday name. Nice. Do you want to talk us uh, through the business? So 2019 is when you started up, just before the big C-bomb, the pandemic kicked yep. off. Um, yeah, so actually our story goes a bit further before that, right? So um, I, I've i spent my entire life working in financial services, started out investment banking a long, long time ago, was working for an investment bank here in Auckland when KiwiSaver first launched. And um, it was really exciting. KiwiSaver was the thing that was going to transform New Zealand, transform New Zealand's financial services and turn us from a nation of saver, spenders into a nation of, of savers. Um, I then left and did my big OE, did what everyone did, kind of spent seven years overseas in London. Came back 2014, 15, desperate to find anything to do in life that was not investment banking. Um, and straight away kind of realised that KiwiSaver was something that needed to kind of was happening wasn't happening anywhere near as well as it should be happening um and, and was quite a, a big opportunity so i kind of fast forward a couple of years and me trying to figure out what to do with my life i teamed up with a guy called uh warren coolio so warren uh he and i met and it was kind of we we're really lucky because he was one of the early uh he launched the, the fish funds kiwisaver scheme uh, when he was the chief investment officer there um, he left Fisher Funds, he was the chairman of Generate when he launched that. Um, and so when I kind of met him and we talked about a whole lot of the pitfalls in KiwiSaver, at the time fees were really, really high. Average fee for a growth fund back then when we started this project was probably 2006, was probably about 1.5%, way higher than where they should be. 
Um, very few people had access to advice um, because balances were too small, funds weren't there. Yet what we saw happening internationally was we saw low-cost funds paired up with digital advice, which was delivering pretty amazing customer outcomes. Um, also, when you kind of thought, hold on a sec, we could apply that model to New Zealand where you still had kind of 600,000 people sitting in default funds. You had the majority of Kiwis that had never made an active decision. So that's kind of where we started. Um, kind of, it was really the two of us with another guy, David Moore, who I worked with in London. Um, that kind of three finance guys that started what we thought was a pretty cool business um, and with really the objective of helping people make better KiwiSave decisions. How do we provide every single Kiwi with the tools and the advice that they need to maximise their retirement. Little did we know though, KiwiSaver, um, a KiwiSaver fund set up by three finance guys, probably should have been set up by three marketing people instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I bet you've had a probably a pretty big, uh, throw, been thrown into the deep end of trying to figure out how to get people listening and, and making change right. So what's the key difference or what were you guys setting out to achieve when you put this together uh, back then that you could see could be transformational and different from what other people were doing in the market yeah so um at, look at the time the the key point of difference for us was all about digital advice how do we how do we help people make better better, better decisions because fundamentally the evidence and all of everything that we saw whether it be the 20 percent of kiwi still sitting in default funds with the surveys that we did which showed that most people were sitting in the wrong set of funds for them our initial hypothesis was that, hey, um, if we can give people the answers to the questions that they have, if we can show them that making a better decision around where they're at will actually make them far wealthier in the long run, that'll be a good customer acquisition tool for us. What we probably didn't pick up on and what we never realized was the, um, the complete apathy on KiwiSaver. Most people sit there and say, oh, it's dealt with. I did it with my bank or I joined when I started working. There's nothing else to think about. Um, and so that's why, to be honest, our model has had to evolve. So over the last kind of 12, 18 months, what we've, had to, what we've gone and done as a business is so we've launched our specialty funds. So for us, where we're kind of realizing is people want choice, people want to be able to take control. And so that means that um, we launched three new funds, so a crypto fund, clean energy fund, and a property fund. So now all of the, the Kota customers can make a choice between each of our nine funds, either the digital advice tools will do all the work for you, or you can kind of take control and, and choose what you want. So a pretty unique offering in the market. Um, and then what we've done as well is we've actually upgraded our advice offering to kind of recognition that people don't quite see on digital advice as, as advice they see anything online as a tool um, and so now what we've got is we've added a telephony and um, and voice advisor service to, to go with it as well so for us it's all about a great set of funds allowing people to take have options and do what they want great pricing um, put together with some help to make sure you make the right decisions from one accountant to a finance goal what the uh, to a finance goal, what the fuck is a telephony Telephony, oh my new world, phone, a phone, a phone. So there's a phone on the website. There's a phone on the website, and there's a, the ability for people to ring up, get advice, and we'll kind of spend half an hour with them, going through and giving them a full service around 
what the best KiwiSaver fund type is for them, how they're going to save fees, and what their KiwiSaver is going to give them, right? Because fundamentally, what we don't want is you sleepwalking your way through to retirement, going contributing 3%, getting 65 and going, cool, I'm ready to retire. My KiwiSaver is now going to deliver everything. We need to be helping you make the decision that actually 3% is not enough. It's actually 6% or 8%. Um, and the sooner we can do that and the sooner we can work that through with you, the better you're going to be off when you get there as well. Nice. So you're trying to understand where they're at, where they're trying to get to, and then actually sort of give them some advice along the way. Exactly. It's yep. all about advice and helping them get to their goals, right? And I think, fair to say, I'd probably um, very few customers, very few KiwiSaver customers that we speak to have ever been asked, what's your KiwiSaver goal? Mm. What's the the driver from the start? Was it basically let's just try and make it simple to just to get people in, but then we've just kind of stopped there. We haven't really evolved it too much, apart yeah. from like who's got the cheapest fees. Yeah, I hundred percent. I think it's a it is a bit of a shame we focused the product got off to a flying start, and I think probably that first it has gone better than I think most people expected it to. Um, but the product's never evolved, right? It's kind of it's if anything it's gone backwards so back when it first came in we were meant to go from it was meant to be four plus four so at least eight percent which would have slowly taken us in line with australia at the time um through the gfc that got pulled back to three plus three and i think there's no my skeptical view no government's ever really taken the view of what to do with kiwisaver and so it's kind of just sat there never really changed we've been playing around with default funds um and it's never really the full potential has never been realized right like we need to make good rules around contribution rates to make sure that it works we need to give people more freedoms and choice around how they invest and we need to make it easier for people um but there'll be some really interesting stuff that happens even some of the little things right like gender and kiwisaver so females have on average about 20 percent lower kiwisaver balances in Australia, there are rules in place that mean that you can kind of share contribution, superannuation contribution. So me and my wife, my wife earns a little bit less than me. I can share some Waikiwi-saver contribution so they grow together. Just little tweaks like that that enable the product to keep on growing, enable people to have confidence in the product um, and people to become more engaged. We've never done anything on the engagement level because we've never made it super easy and wanted people to get that involved. Can you take us through the recent changes to those default yep. uh, rules that got changed? So back in 2021, late December 2021, there was a change to the default st- structure where, um, so let's go one step further back. Default, a default KiwiSaver. Um, if you are not a KiwiSaver member and you start a job and you tick the box saying you want to be a KiwiSaver member, you basically go into the roulette to get one of the seven default providers. Um, and so historically those default providers have been basically cash funds or very very conservative funds because there was a view that they weren't allowed to lose money Um, and then the second part of that was that they um, were meant to be getting in touch and it was only meant to be a very temporary parking spot for clients though to be honest the default guys did a pretty shitty job at that so that's why you ended up with people sitting in those funds for 10-15 years and a as a young person, they're sitting in a conservative fund. They might have been earning 3 or 4%. They should have been in a growth fund earning 10%. Um, and that gets pretty expensive over mm. the long run. So what they did in, in December 2021, 
they changed up the different default providers and they also made it so that um, rather than being extremely conservative uh, approach to investment, then it moved to a balanced approach to investment as well. So slightly more aggressive. Um, but the key thing for anyone listening is just because they've changed the asset allocation and it's a balanced fund, that still means you need to do something because a balanced fund is not the right fund for that many people. Um, and so you need to go do your research, find what KiwiSaver provider is going to be best for you and what fund is going to be best for you um, rather than it being the IRD lottery process. Yeah, nice. And I suppose most people probably don't even really know where to start to figure out what fund is, is right for them, right? No, and that, that's what's really hard. Mm. Um, and so, look, I'm biased. I'd just argue the, the Cotter digital advice tool is a great way to figure out what what set of, what fund is right for you. We're going to ask you questions on your objectives, your age, your your approach to risk. Um, so that's well, a really quick and easy way to come out for a recommendation on the Cotter website. Um, Sorted, have some tools. I think one thing you do have to be aware of is um, there is a really, really big misnomer. Everyone thinks I'm young, therefore I need to go growth aggressive. Um, I'm old, I need to go conservative. That's that's just not true. Yeah. Um, because most young people want to buy a house, so they should actually be conservative if you're about to buy a house. And most old people still, or sorry, people approaching retirement, um, still need to stay invested for another 30 years because it needs to last through. So again, it's kind of, you need to work through it. Our view is finding the digital tools that do that for you or, or otherwise just go speak to your KiwiSaver provider. And if you're looking for the different KiwiSaver providers, ring up two or three. Yeah. It's as simple as ring them up, asking them what they think is the best option for you, asking them why they think why they think they are the best option for you um, and that allows you to make a good decision on the way through, right? Um, and yeah. So if people jump on the Kuda website, they're able to actually go through a process yep. where they're asked questions and then the website's going to give them an indication of... We'll, we'll give you, we'll spit out a recommendation which says, hey, this is the type of fund you should be in, the split of funds and give you the world on our stuff as well, how that looks. Um, but you don't necessarily need to use that with Kuda. Uh, you can take that away and, and look at other KiwiSaver providers. But fundamentally, we're going to say, hey, you should be in a 90-10 portfolio, which is an aggressive portfolio. So that means that you need to be an aggressive fund or you need to be an 80-20 a growth fund or whatever. But yeah, we'll, we'll give every single client um, a, rec a personalized recommendation for them. And when you say you've got nine funds, I think you said, can people select those themselves? Yep. So our, our so the, the two ways you get into our funds and the two ways it operates, either through the digital advice model, where to be honest, 90 odd percent of customers just do that. On the way through, what we're also gonna do is we're gonna ask you, what are the kind of things that you want to invest in? Do you want to invest in clean energy? Do you want to invest in Bitcoin? Do you want to invest in, in property? And so our models will kind of take all of that into account to create a bespoke recommendation for you. Otherwise, um, if you're the next Warren Buffett, what you can do is of those, not you can go into the individuals and just create your own mix out of the nine funds and do whatever you want. Wow. Gee, this sounds almost dangerous. <laughs> um, we've got on the, high, on the higher risk funds, we've got limits. Yeah. So for the really high risk stuff, the limit is 10%. Um, our emerging markets fund, the, the limit is, is 50%. Um, so we we think, so our, our viewers, people... I can't stack 100% uh, into Bitcoin? No. Okay. 
It's good to just get that out of the way. Just get that done. Uh, we have had quite a few people ask whether they can sign waivers to be allowed to do that, though. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, our viewers, look, our job is to give people the information to make the right decisions, which is what the, the digital advice tools do. But we've, what we've also done is created a set of risk mitigation and protections that sit around it, right? At the end of the day, you put 100% of your money into a US equity fund, it's never going to go too far wrong, right? Um, or even New Zealand equities, it, it's never going to go too far wrong. So we're going to let people go 100% into that. Emerging markets, look, that's a pretty scare. That can get pretty volatile. Um, and that can be a little bit all over the place. So that's why we've kind of limited that. And then Bitcoin, uh, the highest volatility out of everything. So that's why we kind of say a 10% cap in there as well. Yeah. Um, but we think, we, we think that's the future. We think the future is giving people options plus kind of with some risk mitigants that sit around it because at the end of the day, you still are saving for your retirement. And are you one of the only KiwiSaver providers that allow people to invest into the crypto space? Yeah, we are. So um, there's one other KiwiSaver provider that has it inside their fund. We're, we're the only ones that have it as a separate fund. And the reason we set it up as a separate fund is we 100% get that a lot of people don't want to go anywhere near it. Um, and so for us, it's all about creating the choice. So if people want it, they can have it. Um, and But we don't want to force it on everyone. We don't want to be known as the people that do crypto. And I think for us, it, it was a pretty tough journey to get there on the crypto stuff as well. I've got a very traditional investment committee, as you can probably imagine. Um, and so we've spent the better part of six to nine months debating whether this was in our investors' interest, if this was the best thing to do before we then started to do it, right? But again, our view where it comes to is crypto is actually a really interesting asset class. Um, it's an asset class that it might go somewhere, it might not. But there's a hell of a lot of stuff that's starting to happen in that ecosystem, which kind of tells us that it, it probably is going to get there and it's going to kind of last longer than people give it credit for. Um and if by chance it does become into a true institutional asset, which it does appear to be coming, then fundamentally that'll be the next big leg up of when that happens. So for us, we we thought it was an, an interesting place to play and we thought with the appropriate risk mitigants in place, um, it was it was kind of safe for KiwiSaver members to be investing there as well. Well, I'd imagine some of the traditional funds probably don't take the same view. Uh, very, very few do. So yeah. in the US, though, it, it is starting to get there, right? So Fidelity have just launched it into their um, their retirement accounts. Um, there are a couple in Australia that, that are about to launch as well. So, And this is what I mean, right? It's as much as all the shit that happened last year with FTX and some of the other stuff, what I find fascinating is we're still, every couple of weeks, we're seeing new announcements about new infrastructure being built for institutional investors, new people starting to put it inside retirement accounts, etc. Um, so it's kind of it's got some really interesting momentum. Has it been popular for you guys? Yeah, it has. Um, probably not quite as popular as I would have expected. Um, I think we've got. I actually don't know the number of the people that are in there or even the percentage. I think probably we've got ten to twenty percent of our members uh, are in there. Yeah. Um, and probably on the way through, it's probably at the moment, I think about 20% of our new customers are selecting it as well. So it, it's there. I think we find quite a people to look at it. 
Um, people are curious on it, but people aren't quite ready to pull the trigger. Yeah. I mean, our, our argument is actually KiwiSaver is the perfect answer, perfect way to invest in crypto um, for three reasons. One is it's a very long-term asset. KiwiSaver is not something that you just kind of pull out and change your mind. And with a highly volatile asset, it's like crypto, which goes up and down a whole lot. That's actually KiwiSaver where you're going to be constantly making contributions every fortnight or every week. Actually, it's a great way because you're putting money in the lows and you're not tempted to take money out at the highs, more in the lows as well. And the other benefit is it's pretty easy, right? So we've gone and done a huge amount of work around custody and making sure that we use providers that are highly regulated in the US. Um, and so the chance of being kind of um, subject to scam, the chance of kind of being subject to fraud or any of those other things, which is very prevalent in this industry with us, we believe is extremely low. Um, so it's a much safer, easier way to invest um, through this structure than if you were to go set up a, an account um, with Binance or Easy Crypto and set up your wallet. Yeah. In this KiwiSaver space, since you've been involved, what would you say is the biggest mistake that people make in this area that Kiwi's just completely overlooking or uh, that you see them doing you think, oh, I wish they didn't do that? The biggest one is not understanding what type of fund they should be in. And so I'll give you a good example here, right? So an average Kiwi earning 80 grand, if they sit there and go into a growth fund, by the time they get to 65, um, they're going to be, they're going to have a balance of about 600 odd grand, 620 grand. If that person had stayed in a default fund the whole way through, their balance would only be kind of about 400 grand. And so it's that's the, the big shame is it's about a small decision made early around the right fund choice, understanding where you should be makes such a massive difference. And so for that person's retirement when they get to 65, that's 200 grand less that they have through no one's fault except for the fact that no one's told them to make the right decision um, and help them on the way through. So that's getting in the right fund type is by far and away the most powerful decision you're ever going to make. Yeah. Okay. So people really need to be thinking about what they're invested in. I'd imagine people listening to this are probably more inclined to be thinking about that, but there'd be hundreds of thousands of Kiwis still that just would have no idea, right? Oh, there are, right? So coming back to our our, our, our advice process, what do we find, right? We, we find that less than 50% of people are aligned or even close to the recommendations that we'd give them. And so that can mean um, young people that were saving for a first home, forgot to move out of their first home and they're still sitting in a default conservative fund when they should be in a, an aggressive fund. Whether it be, and this is really sad with what's happened in the last 12 months with where markets have gone, um, we see, I think we saw like 50% of the first home buyers that are looking to buy a house in the next couple of years are still sitting in a growth or aggressive fund. I know. And yeah, that's not a great place to be in no. the current market environment. Because it's just killing their potential deposit, right? Well, exactly. They've mm. kind of lost 10, 15% of that in the last 12 months. Um, whereas they never should have been exposed to that risk in the first place. Yeah. And how would they have ended up there? Basically just sort of sit and forget exactly. early on? Well, someone told them, yeah. hey, you're young, put it in a growth fund or put it in an aggressive fund and don't look at it again. So it's just simply not understanding goals. Yeah, not understanding goals. When they go see the mortgage advisor, the mortgage advisor goes, oh, what's your key saver balance? Oh, it's here. Oh, fuck. No, it's not anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah and then they're further behind, right? Because yeah. they potentially can't get the same level of lending. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, their 20% deposits all of a sudden kind of impacts through, right? So look, in the, the, I think the hardest thing for us 
Well, the most frustrating thing is these aren't hard decisions. It's mm. not a hard process to go through. Um, I mean, we'd love every single client and every single KiwiSaver provider to make sure that every single client goes through an advice process. The only way you can do that economically is digitally, but we still think it's something that everyone should do. Yeah. All right, turning to the markets and what's been happening, I noticed in my own KiwiSaver, I logged in and had a little look and it's bounced back. You had a good month, yeah. a good six to eight weeks. Yeah, what's all that about? What's happening? Apparently, we've beaten the inflation monster. Oh, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, going to say, that'd be nice. Yeah. Um, oh, look, it's, it's been a really interesting couple of years, right? So um, if we look at markets, markets are down about 15% from where they were uh, kind of 15 months ago when they peaked last year the story was all about inflation um, inflation was high interest rates rose interest rates rose from kind of zero percent around the world to kind of in the u.s they're now kind of four and a half with an expectation of going to five and a half new zealand exactly the same story right what that does to companies is that means that um and sorry the point of raising interest rates is to suck demand out of the economy and by what by that what i mean is people living here in grayland where we're sitting right now their mortgages have probably just gone from two and a half thousand dollars a month to five thousand dollars a month um and that means they can't afford to spend much money on anything else so that means companies revenues come down companies profits come down people kind of come out of work and generally that takes the demand out of the economy which means that inflation falls but unfortunately corporate earnings also fall and so that's been the big fear over the last little wee while is that um, higher interest rates push us into recession um, and then companies would get hit and smacked up through that recession mm. on the way through. I think what's really interesting in about December, for some reason the markets got their heads around, these commodity prices came off, we started to see supply chains normalise and we started to see that, um, we started to take the view that, oh, hold on a sec, Maybe inflation is under control. We haven't seen this recession hit yet. And actually, maybe things are going to get a little bit better than we'd initially anticipated. So we saw markets rally about 10% in the month of January. Um, but unfortunately, that, that's starting to come off a bit. And that came off a bit in February. And after what we saw last night, it's probably going to come off a bit again. What did we see last night? I was asleep. Oh, it's, um, I wish I could sleep. Um <laughs> It's freaking out about the account. Oh, account free, 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 freaking out about my account balances, and well, I've got three kids, which never helps life either. True. Um, and so, like last night, I think what we saw happen last night is we saw the U.S. Federal Reserve, basically most markets are priced based on what happens in the U.S. Um, we saw him come out and say that, uh, hold on a sec, inflation still got a long way to go. Interest rates are going to need to be pushed higher than anyone had initially expected. Um, and that means greater chance of recession. So that's where markets sold off as well. I think it's markets are at a really interesting point in time where people are probably ignoring the downside scenario at the moment, which is higher interest rates and recession, um, and really focused on when can we get back to the good old boom times. I don't know if those are anywhere near um in the short term maybe that's probably the hard thing for people to accept or get their head around even the small businesses that i'm working with i've talked to them about the normal's gone you know it was kind of a, oh we just want to get back to normal after covid but then they're looking for a, a new normal after inflation as well but the normal seems to have completely disappeared and we're not going back to 
what it used to be like or it's going to take some time to get there at least anyway. And that's what markets haven't understood. You're 100% bang on what is normal. Mm. Is normal is normal back to where we were in the, the 80s and 90s where we had kind of double-digit mortgage, mortgage rates um, and or is normal back to where we were pre-GFC where kind of 7% um, interest rates or is normal kind of what we had for most of the 2010s. And I think no one can quite make up their mind what normal is. Mm. And the, the big issue we also have is because we're because we are where we are, and what we've been through, not just over the last three years, but probably over the last fifteen years, right? Because you've got to remember QE, quantitative easing, where we had central banks printing huge amounts of money. We've had that environment now for the last fifteen years, and no one knows what that means when we unwind that. You asked anyone twelve months ago what would happen. If we pushed interest rates to 4% or 5%, they would have said carnage, the financial system will melt down. We're now there, nothing's happened. Um, and so that's what's giving people kind of pause for thought to go, well, maybe the new normal is fine and maybe we can get through this scenario without a recession um, and maybe we can beat inflation without causing a recession. It's all pretty Goldilocks, but that's yeah. basically where a lot of people are at at the moment. Naturally, we're always good at pricing and pessimism. Um, but the bulls often win. And I suppose the danger for KiwiSaver is that if interest rates are continuing to rise, people will look to try and find ways to put some money back in their pocket. And one of those is probably maybe I'll pause yep. thinking about the future and KiwiSaver and my retirement because that's ages away. And I know that I did that um, in some of my, in my 20s where I wanted to clear my credit card faster. And so that was a lever I could pull by not contributing because I thought, well, I've brought my house now, I've used that. It's not going to be till 65 that I can get that cash. So I thought, well, I'd probably pay back Westpac and get them off my back and then I'll start contributing again. Unfortunately, I paid off the credit card and thought, ah, I might kick into KiwiSaver in another couple of weeks or something. And that two weeks probably turned into two years. Uh, Do look, you hate me? I, I don't hate you. I just, unfortunately, that is the sad reality of so many people. I was at a conference last week speaking to a, uh, a senior banker from one of the banks and we asked, we asked her where her KiwiSaver was and why. She said, oh, no, nah, I gave up on KiwiSaver. Oh, wow. why? Oh, well, I took it out for my first home and then I wasn't allowed to contribute because I couldn't pass bank servicing requirements when that happened. And I've just never restarted. And, I, um, and now I kind of just don't want to give up that 3% of extra income. And this is someone that you kind of go, I don't know, she might have been in her late 30s. She bought her house five or six years ago. She should have 30, 40 grand sitting there. Mm. And if she'd managed to keep that going on the way through, she never would have noticed the 3% not being there. Um, but effectively, it's kind of, yeah, it's a really sad one. People, uh, people, sh my view, and look, I'm biased, QC manager, my view is people should try to keep it going if they can. And saying that, if they really need that 3% of extra funds, they, they should take it but make sure that they've got a plan for when and how they get it back into going to KiwiSaver. Because one of the things we do know about retirement and is if you wait till it's way older, it's way too hard to do, right? So a good a good example of this was another client that we spoke to a couple of weeks ago. She, um, a very high paying job, had never done KiwiSaver before. Um, or sorry, had only started KiwiSaver a couple of years earlier. Hadn't really thought about her retirement early 50s 
she kind of turned around to us and said, so how do I make sure I've got $6 million by the time I'm 65? And we had to turn around and go basically save 40% of your income. Wow. Yeah. Very hard to do. Very hard to do. Yeah. Whereas if she'd started 10, 20 years earlier, mm. it would have been 10, 15% of her income. I think it's the value of compounding, right? And exactly. You know, into my 30s now, I um, could have probably, I probably need to spend that money on Botox these days, but I thought <laughs> instead I'll start increasing my contributions to KiwiSaver to try and catch up some of my poor decisions I made in my 20s. But at least in your 30s, you're doing it, not in your 50s. Yeah, very true. So I've got a, because what I did is I actually, ran a calculation of where my KiwiSaver would take me to based on my current balance, what I was currently earning. And yep. I sort of thought, you know, my income may drop off eventually um, and not be at this level. But the number that it kicked out for 65, I was actually really underwhelmed. Like I sort of thought, oh, I'm going to have, I, I don't know, I just thought there would easily be just millions come up on the screen. And it wasn't. And I sort of thought, oh, I might need to change this. And admittedly, it's at 3%. So that's where I thought, well, I need to increase that percentage. But I think for the people that don't contribute 3%, they're forgetting that they can get 3% from their employer as well, right? Which so, is a guaranteed 100% return on the this, the money that they're saving effectively. Oh, so look, and just because these are the numbers in my head, if you earn 60 grand a year, you contribute 3%. That's about, I think it's about $20, $30 a week. But it's, sorry, it's $30 a week of your own money. What's even better though is that you get $30 a week given to you for free from the government and from your employer. And so by the time you put all of that together, you kind of go, you're turning your $30 a week into an income by the time you reach 65 of, um, of I think it's about $200 a week in yeah. today's money as well. So to me, it's a, it's a pretty good trade. There's no other savings mechanic which allows you to also get access to that free money, mm. um, which is a no-brainer. But, but coming back to your point about being underwhelmed on um, your balance, that's the sad reality, right? Um, three plus three gives us three, three plus three. We think for most people, um, so if you're earning 100 grand a year, that's only ever going to give you what we call an income replacement rate of about 40 to 50%. So that means today you've got an income of $100,000 a year. And effectively, you would be moving when you get to sixty-five of a, an income of about um, forty to fifty thousand dollars a year. And we, we kind of ran these numbers when we first started the business, and then oh, there's no way this is the case. This is kind of how can they let this happen? Then we looked at what happens internationally. Australia, they're going to twelve percent with a view that they would have gone to fourteen percent, but politically they couldn't get it through, and they probably will now with this new government. Internationally, the OECD average for um, for pension contributions is fifteen percent. Wow! So that means our three plus three, way off the mark. That's fuck all. Yeah. Um, Why are we still so shit at saving when we try to like we introduce this to try and fix it? Well, I think governments have got governments have never quite figured out KiwiSaver, and I mean national government, right? And back in two thousand nine, pulled it from being four plus four even down to six plus three plus three. And so national government kind of, they're, they're happy to let it happen. They're happy to support it. And even the Labor government, right, we've had these conversations for the better part of the last five years. But it all, oh, we'll deal with it later, we'll deal with it later, we'll deal with it later. No, no one really wants to have this conversation about how we fix KiwiSaver and how we turn it into something really, really great. Um, and I think 
a part of that is people are scared about taking money away. No one really wants to, to give the incentives to make it good. So, for example, in Australia, um, you'll contribute to your superannuation. You'll get a 17.5% tax on that versus kind of marginal tax rate, which can be up to 45% in Australia, plus anything that happens within your super is tax-free. So massive incentives mm. to go through that. Um, but for some reason in New Zealand, we've got no real desire to do that. I mean, maybe with the GST debacle that happened last year, people have realised how popular KiwiSaver is and, and maybe that creates some new policies at this election. But um, I'm not holding my breath. So there's about 3.2 million people in KiwiSaver, I think, right? But yep. what of that, I think I read that there's only about a third of them effectively actually actively, actively contributing. Yeah, actively contributing. Wow. So actively contributing, does that mean... Putting in through your paycheck every week or yeah. every month. And so what if someone just puts in the minimum to get the government 50%? Yep. Is that actively contributing or is that no, probably not? No, because that's not no. being done through the IAD. Okay. And so, I mean, if you're self-employed and you or you've got an employer that's not going to give you the extra 3%, at the very least, you should be putting in that 20 bucks mm. a week. My fear with KiwiSaver is that it actually just increases the wealth divide where we think it's the right solution, but because we're, we're like maybe we should be forcing people to do it and because we don't then the people that don't are going to then look at the people who do end up with you know the KiwiSaver credit card or debit card where they're just able to spend on that and then probably if the market keeps treating them well not run out of cash and then pass it down people are going to resent that and go oh well you got lucky or that's unfair or we should tax them tax the rich all that standard stuff that we already hear will just become louder and louder and these people that have tried to do something wise and be really smart through that time will then be targeted um, to fund other things and they'll think, well, maybe what was the point of actually doing that? You're 100% right. And, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why whenever we talk of, they talk about tax breaks for KiwiSaver, everyone's like, oh, no, 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 that's just going to fund the rich and it's just going to allow wealthier people to avoid paying tax. But I think there's a couple of things, right? Probably if you're going to do it properly, compulsion in my mind kind of solves some of those problems and definitely makes that easier. I would also argue that you should be looking at it as a broader policy whereby KiwiSaver contributions are sorted, turned into a real number. We put tax incentives to make people do that. But at the same time, we introduce means testing on pension mm. because fundamentally we can't afford the pension as it stands at the moment. At the moment, it's 4.5% of GDP. It's expected to rise to 6.5% of GDP. Putting that in context, New Zealand tax take is about 33% of GDP. So that's an extra 10% of tax we're going to have to find from somewhere just to pay for pensions. Yeah. Australia, which has gone into the means testing world, plus huge tax breaks and subsidies, are down at about 4.5% of GDP, which is what their total pension system costs. So there are much better ways to do it. My argument would be let's fix KiwiSaver which allows us to simultaneously fix the pension system and figure out how, as a country, we're going to pay for an ageing population because that's a no one wants to have that conversation, but at some point we need to. Otherwise, it's um, yeah, it's going to be quite hard. Well, we're going to talk about all of that, so you'll have to tune in to the next podcast that we do with Rupert as well because it's going to be on the future of KiwiSaver. But in the meantime, if you want to jump on the website, then jump on the Kura website and have a look at what they've put together, helping people make better decisions with KiwiSaver. You can also find them on Instagram, I believe. Instagram, Facebook, you name it, we're there. 
There we go. Well, mate, thank you for your insight. That's gone by really quickly and interesting to hear a bit of your journey, what you're setting out to achieve, and then also what's going on in the market. So we'll see you in the, the next pod, and I'm sure people will be itching to find out the future of KiwiSaver. Thank you. Great to be here.